gosh, we don't have Ben tonight to uh, sing us sing our opening song. Dun 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 dun. Well, oh, we got something even better. Look at there. Oh, we're doing the Doctor Who theme. I was trying to, yeah. That is so great. Welcome, everybody, to the December 7th edition of the Con Guy Happy Hour, a freewheeling, anything-goes live discussion between the hosts, the guests, and most importantly, you, the fans. My name is Jim. I'm one of your hosts tonight, and with me um, tonight, we have half of the sampling. Who else we have? Hi, I'm Danae, and the other half of the samplings isn't here yet. Um, hopefully, he'll get to join us later. It just depends. But um, I can talk enough for both of us. I got all my notes right here <laughs> with my Doctor Who pin and my River Song journal. <laughs> all right, Katie. And it's me, Katie, which I used to be the con girl, but now that Danae is like here, I don't know. We might need to rechange that to something else. I don't know. Uh, and I'm gal. also rocking my Doctor Who fashion. I'm rocking my 10th Doctor dress. So. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because it's also dress number still. So it's a charity thing. So I still have to wear a dress. So I, it serves two purposes. So you'll have to tell us about that because I don't remember what that dress I will. Dress. I'll mention at the end. <laughs> also, very special guest, Jake Thomas, who has not Hi. been here for some time. Jake, thank you for coming back. I haven't been here since we were in a studio. <laughs> well, it has been a long time. It feels like, how long ago was that? Years ago. I, if, yeah, I think it would have been at least a year. Yeah, back at the- Well, I mean, 2020 has been like eight years long, yeah. so. That is true. That is true. I am also <laughs> I'm also wearing uh, my Doctor Who t-shirt, keep calm and don't blink. Nice. I don't think yeah. you'd be able to keep calm in that situation, though. <laughs> Let's be as real. As long as you don't blink, you can keep calm. <laughs> Just walk around like this. Tonight, yeah. we are tackling topics far and wide. Foremost, our thoughts on Doctor Who. And by the way, this came about because Katie and Derek and Danae were having like a, a, a texting conversation <laughs> about strong opinions. And I'm like, guys, we've got to talk about this on the show, especially since uh, there's one particular big thing that's happening in a couple of weeks, which is? The Christmas special. Which New is Year's on Year's. New Year's this time. Wait, does it usually come on Christmas? It's usually a Christmas special. And I don't even know if they've had one the past couple of years, which shows, I don't, I think I just discredited <laughs> myself. They still did it? Okay. I, I have a reason for why I haven't, I've lost the past couple year or two. Of We're going to hear that. But what the, the thing is so significant is there is a cast member, a very beloved cast member who is returning to the special this year. Who was that? John Barrowman. Captain Jack. Captain yeah. Jack is back. The, is last, cool. the last big cameo that happened was River Song coming back, I believe. Yeah. That was a few mm -hmm. years back. Uh, that's actually the episode that I haven't seen. Um, that's the next episode that I have to watch uh, in my catch-up. So, um, And they're both fan favorites. So, But I think Barrowman's a little bit bigger. People tend to like him a lot. Oh, he's a good so, guy. And he's a great, like, he always has great panels at conventions and meets all the fans mm -hmm. and stuff, so... It's, he's that guy's nuts. Also tonight, there's a reason why we have asked Jake. Besides the fact that Jake Thomas is just a friend of ours, and he is actually very good on the show tonight. Jake has something really cool that he is uh, reviewing for us tonight. Talking about what is it, Jake? I do. Uh, my feature film is uh, dropping on iTunes and Amazon tomorrow, December eighth. 
That's and rounds of applause. It's called shedding. You get it on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu. It's also on demand. Right there. Check it out. Oh, and nice. And there's the link. I don't know if you can click on the link, but if you want to copy and paste that link, the link, it's down there in the, oh, hey. Susie Ward-Thomas says, hi, Jake. Hi, Mom. <laughs> I was going to say, last name, last name. Okay, gotcha. It's your, it's your mom. Cat Blood Good. It's Cat Blood Good. It is always good to have her here. I love that she tunes in every week. That's fantastic. Um, but also, we're going to talk, be talking about Jake's film, which I saw. At Which film festival was it that you had the big premiere? That was the L.A. premiere was at New Filmmakers L.A. back in February 8th uh, when theaters were open. Masks were uh, non-existent. And it was, it was this year. Ago. That was this year. Yeah, believe it or not. This year. Boy, that was, by the way, great film. I can't wait to talk about it. Also, we have a third topic we're going to discuss tonight, and that is the monumental, earth-shattering news that Warner Brothers is dropping all of their 2021 films on HBO Max this year, day and date. And quite a few people um, seeing red, let's just put it that way. They're not super, super happy about that. But first up, I just wanna say, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Me and, me and my tropical Santa, we are super happy. And for happy hour tonight, I have got eggnog. By the way, non-alcoholic eggnog for me tonight because I'm moving on to the big, the the heavy stuff a little bit later. <laughs> Anybody else got anything to drink tonight? Well, um, I can't wait for Wonder Woman to come down my chimney and premiere on Christmas Day, so I'm drinking a little bit from my Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking Jack Daniel's Lynchburg Lemonade. Wow. Hmm, that sounds good. Yeah, it's I... one of my favorite things. I am not drinking anything special, but I do have on very special happy hour socks that I don't think I can get my leg up to show you guys, but it says Christmas spirits on it. I'll just nice. describe it since a lot of people just listen to this anyways. There is, um, a, looks like a mixed drink as well as a secondary mixed drink. They're best friends and it's Christmas spirits. Jake's bringing the fan club tonight. Lauren Reed Brown. Hi, Jake. Hi, mother-in-law. Say both moms. Okay. He's drinking turmeric boost. <laughs> turmeric. All right. All right. We will um, we'll we'll refer back to this a couple times tonight, Jake. But just remind mm -hmm. us where people can find find the film. But before we do the film, speaking of films and speaking of online, you saw a film this week that you want to tell us about. What yeah, I, I think I saw it a couple weeks ago, but I realized that we hadn't talked about it since I watched it. Mm -hmm. uh, my roommate and I finally sat down to watch Mulan. Uh, her sister, in, uh, her not sister-in-law, her sister did pay for like the $30 to like get access yeah. to the film, but we only just now watched it. So technically it would almost been like we waited till it dropped on Disney Plus. Because I think it's open. I think it's there for everyone now, right? I think it's I think there, it yeah. is. I think yeah, I think now it's just open to everybody because I saw a lot of posts about it this week. I literally in one day saw three people post about Mulan, which shows that a lot of people did not pay that $30, and I completely understand why. Yeah, That's Mulan, a lot of money. Now, yeah. Um, I didn't hate it. I, <laughs> As a remake, I didn't care for it. As a remake, I didn't hate yeah. it. <laughs> I, I didn't, as a remake, I didn't like it, but as mm. A Chinese film, 
mm-hmm. I enjoy, I would have enjoyed it if it was its own standalone film, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Because it is drastically different than the OG, and obviously they had their reasons, and I completely understand that. But it kind of gave me old school Chinese movies like I grew up with, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, not anywhere near as good. Just, I'm not saying it is as good as Crouching Tiger. It is not. But with the action and stuff, we're not used to seeing films like that very often anymore with that kind of fight choreography. So in that sense, I really liked it. It kind of gave me that nostalgia of the, of the films I would watch as a kid. Uh, I thought the acting was all right. Um, it wasn't it wasn't drastically bad where you're like this is terrible acting. I think my biggest thing was the whole time I was watching it, I didn't feel like it was a Disney movie. Mm. Really, it, it was just so different from what they I feel like they normally do that it it didn't I don't know what studio it felt like because obviously it was a big budget, but I just kept going really this is this is Disney. And I don't know why, but I didn't know it was going to be in English. And I know that's probably stupid of me to not think that it's going to be in English. But for some reason, I thought it was going to be in subtitles. <laughs> that would have um, been a hardcore commitment. And, and which, props to them if they would have gone like, you know what? We're, yeah, no Mushu, I, no songs, no nothing, no English. And I get, I get why they didn't do it in, in Mandarin or Chinese. Like, I get that. But I don't know why in my brain I was like, oh, wait, they're speaking English. Um, but I did think there were some some good changes. I think that there it still had some heart to it, um, which is a big thing. Uh, the only thing I didn't care entirely for is there were some of those tropes where they had to put down men to make the women look stronger. Um, and I never am a fan of that because a woman can be strong without making men look weak. Um, exactly. And it wasn't a huge thing that the movie suffered from, but there were subtle things there where I feel like they kind of made the guys, felt the guys down, a little, tore the guys down a little bit. So, um, but I'd say it's definitely not the best remake, but it's not the worst. Um, it just didn't feel like a remake. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Hopefully no one comes at me for that. If anybody thinks I'm wrong, go ahead and let me know. But this is just my opinion, of course. Um, so, and I know there was well, a lot it's of- not just your opinion because it's um, got 73% on Rotten Tomatoes with critics. Mm-hmm. Audiences only gave it 50%. Yeah, I think, I think the hard thing with any of the live action remakes is that you are going to compare it to the original no matter what. Um, and- a lot of people are really connected with the music in Mulan, and I understand why they made that choice to not have it, but they did still have it in the background, and Christina Aguilera re-recorded it, the song, Reflection, yeah. for the end of the movie. It's a different version, it's a little bit changed, but I did kind of like that because it still echoed off of the original, um, so that was a good call on that. Um, but it just felt a little disjointed as a remake. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot different. And I get, like I said, I get why they did it because they wanted the story to not be quite as offensive. But how is the the story moving? Well, it's just more, and it's not as accurate. The original was not as accurate. So that's why I understand why they changed it. You mean they didn't sing in battle? No. (laughs) But they did add a female villain 
who I actually didn't like at first, but she was still pretty cool addition. Some people were a little bit hesitant about it because she's a witch. But I was like, every Disney movie has magic. Now you're going to get upset about a witch? Like, What were they upset about? I heard there were people were uh, – I haven't seen it yet, and, and I do have Disney Plus, so I'll, I'll watch it pretty soon here. But, like – the the absence of Mushu, that's the one thing that I don't know if I can live with. I, I just there, love the Mushu. Agreed. Honestly, I thought there was going to be certain things that bothered me, you know, the, the love interest changing, all things like that. Those things were not the things that bothered me. What do you um, mean the love interest changed? The person who, the character that she falls uh, in love with is not the same character from the original movie. Oh, okay. Different, oh. different person, different guy. Um, so and so is the villain. The main villain is also different. Because yeah, it so. used to be the the, the 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 was it the Huns? The Hun is the Huns yeah. with the with the this Falcon. Is, yeah. What is it? I forget what they're what the they're called in this one. But yeah, okay. like I said, it did. It, it, I still liked it as like a yeah. I, I think, think they still saw a lot of culture, which I like. I think there were political reasons for changing it, and you know, you, you can. You can criticize companies all you want, but you know, such is the the way of the world. But I loved the original animated film. I just thought it was one of Disney's better films of their the last half of their golden era of the '90s. Now, because when did Mulan come out? The original was it in the '90s or was it early 2000s? Um, I'm pretty sure it was '98. I can check yeah. though. But I, I was in middle school because that was that was one of the last ones I saw in theaters. I think. Yeah. Um, before actually at, well the emperor's new groove is the last 2d animated one i saw in theaters but that was one of them and see, i that's remember one they could do a live action for i think that no one. don't touch the emperor's new groove you know the emperor's new groove was a whole different movie when it started out it was a like, mm -hmm. thing songs and like the lost kingdom of the aztecs yeah. and, whatnot. and then it went through development and became yeah. a, a classic <laughs> and it became like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. I love it. It's so funny. I do like it quite a bit, but it's bizarre the changes it made. And it's one of the most expensive uh, animated films of the, the era because they scrapped the original and got rid of it. Um, I just want to point out real quick, though, if you guys are interested in learning more about the actual story of Mulan and the historical figure that she's based on, there's a really great docuseries narrated by Lucy Lawless called Warrior Women. It was on Netflix. Um, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but I really recommend checking it out because they also cover Joan of Arc and Baudica and a lot of other awesome ladies like that. But you get to hear about the real historical woman because I'm a big history nerd that oh, um, Mulan is based on. Yeah. And what we know that show. Warrior women. Warrior women. Mm -hmm. Susie Ward Thomas. I had a caffeine-free Diet Coke. Dad would be watching too, but he <laughs> Of course, he worked eleven hours today. I, I don't blame him. Rest easy, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did get a little emotional though when um Ming Yao Wen had her cameo. She does yeah. have a cameo in the movie, and I am glad that they put her in it because obviously she isn't originally was Mulan, so it was nice to actually see her still be able to be there and actually see her face and be in costume. And, I love yeah. that. I love hey, what was the name of that documentary again, or that book, Danae? Um, it's a documentary called Warrior Women, and it is hosted by Lucy Lawless. You know, Xena Warrior Princess. Yeah. Called. Warrior. I was like, Xena. Mm -hmm. And narrate. I'm, I, I can't type this fast. <laughs> 
Lucy. All right. So our next topic is actually a biggie. Did it go through? Yeah, it went. Okay. We actually have a really big topic, something that came out this week that is just huge news. Um, let me just read a little bit about it. This is the news that we, and it's exactly in line with Mulan. Thank you, Katie, for talking about that and, and, and giving us an idea of what Mulan's like. I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm really excited to see Mulan. Warner Brothers news this week. They shook the ground when Warner Brothers announced that Wonder Woman 1984 would be streaming on HBO Max on Christmas. Everybody thought, oh, well, um, it's going to be a one-time isolated experience. It's not going to happen all the time. It, you know, it's in response to an unprecedented pandemic. Instead, though, the studio will deploy a similar release strategy for the next 12 months in a surprising break from industry standards. Warner Bros. There, has said their entire 2021 slate will debut both on HBO Max and in theaters on their respective release dates. This includes The Matrix 4, Godzilla vs. King Kong, Dune, Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical adaptation of Into the Heights, The Sopranos prequel, The Mary Jane of Newark, which I didn't know we were having, and then uh, James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad. <coughs> what are you guys thinking about that? This is huge. This is huge. Because um, I remember Universal, like they were, so, they were so mad at them earlier, and that seems rather kind uh, after Trolls World Tour had their kind of vod drop earlier this year and you know am i forget if his amc or cinemark was like we're done we're done so nothing we're never gonna play one of your movies again then they like you know made amends so yeah this is uh this is interesting i mean this here's the list of films some of the bigger films that the suicide squad that i was like oh hey yeah the suicide squad yeah that's coming out august the 6th yeah. wonder woman december 25th tom and jerry which i didn't know they were gonna have a tom and jerry but i'm excited about oh wonder woman you got your wonder woman glass tom, I wonder woman, yeah <laughs> tom and jerry is march the 5th godzilla versus kong may 21st yeah, the, one, the next conjuring movie june 4th space jam a new legacy with lebron james july 16th Suicide Squad, August 6th. Dune, October 1st. Matrix 4. The Matrix Part 4 is going to be dropping online. Well, how appropriate. December 22nd. <laughs> then they got Mortal Kombat and Malignant and some other films. Um, Danae, what's your first impressions when you hear something like this? I mean, as a consumer, it's exciting because I don't, I mean, um, I get to watch it from home. But at the same time, I, one of my favorite things to do is go to the movies. And that's been um, a real bummer this year, you know, amidst all the other bummers is not going to movies. Um, but at the same time, though, it's like, oh, like, I just, I feel it like the stab in the gut for everybody that works at Warner Brothers and um, just for the company as a whole, because I know this has got to hurt them a lot. And um yeah, it makes me worried, especially with a big show like Dune that they're dropping. It's not going to have that theatrical release because um, that would have been amazing to see in theaters. But also that's just I feel like they're going to be seeing red for a long time now. Well, I, I, think, I think there's certain releasing in theaters where possible, right? Yeah. It's both. Oh, yeah. Okay. Day okay. and date. Theaters. Can I just take back everything I just said? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, what, you're saying is true. what you're saying is still true, though, because <laughs> it's going to, the, the industry is very conflict. Well, let's let's put it mildly. The, the industry is not that conflicted about it. They're very angry about this. Um, for the most part, the creative side of the industry, the, the people that have to make the financial decisions, they kind of say, they're kind of been pushed into a spot of like, 
We had no year. We had a year without Jones <laughs> this year, basically, what happened. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how to recoup their their losses. The, the Walt Disney Company, I know they're up to like close to 74, 75 million subscribers on Disney+, Plus, which is way ahead of where they thought they would be. And this week, they announced their um, – on Thursday, they have their, their investor day where we're going to find out, is Disney going to be doing the same type of thing? And the thinking around that is probably to some extent, yes. Probably not nearly this extreme. But, yeah, Disney is dropping Soul Christmas Day, mm-hmm. which is the latest Pixar film. They put the last Pixar film on there, Onward. Um uh Mulan. So yeah, Onward, Onward came out in theaters briefly though. It was right. it was the last movie before everything shut down. Very briefly, yeah. Yeah, yeah very briefly. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of uh, by the way, speaking of Tom and Jerry, Brad is with this new Tom and Jerry movie trailer actually looks good. I was scared to watch it and I was I liked it, Brad, too. I agree with Brad. I didn't know they were making a movie. So the thing is is I I'm 50/50 on it. Yeah. Um I have friends who are really excited because they're like, I don't want to go to a movie theater. And I was like, yeah, but if this keeps up, there's not going to be movie theaters to go back to. Um, I love the movies and I, I don't want to not be able to go to the theater when it's safe to do so again. Um, As, as far as the grade standpoint, I, I think that there is a lot of money that, the box office soaks up that kind of makes people more greedy and money hungry. So in that sense, I, I'm okay with it. If this makes any sense, I'm, I'm trying not to go on a tangent. No, it does. But, it does. But at the same time, it is going to hurt people as well because they aren't making that money back that they put into it. So it's not a good. <laughs> I'm torn. I think certain movies, those straight to streaming, will benefit them better. Uh, movies like Godzilla versus Kong. You need to see a Godzilla movie in theater to get that experience, to get that 50 yeah. feet tall Godzilla monster, right? Like, it's not the same on your home TV. Right. But for animated films where you have a family of, Aww. let's say, six people, and you want to watch Tom and Jerry or Space Jam, it's going to be way cheaper to watch it at home. But that's also a bad thing because they're not getting that money in ticket sales. Um, I think it's going to do a lot of damage. Um to theaters in the future and to big blockbusters for at least a couple of years. And that's the harder thing because we all work in entertainment. We all work in that job and I, it's going to take a hit. I think, I don't think can, it's, go, it's it's hard because I feel like people are already struggling to appreciate like how many, how many jobs are at stake when the motion yeah. picture job, when the motion picture industry went down. Um, so People are streaming more than ever, yet they're not realizing that. Right. Hey, hey people have to make this. Exactly, exactly. We, people so. don't like to see how you make the sausage. They just like eating the sausage sometimes. But I hope hey. my point came across. That was a little bit jumbled. I apologize. <laughs> well, I apologize for kind of distracting attention while you were talking with moving things around and okay. fixing this balloon. No, Derek, hey, everybody, welcome Derek to the show. Derek, glad to see hey. you. We're so glad you were here. And as you can uh, probably tell, and Jake got frozen mid-swing. Oh, he's back now. Um, <laughs> we are. Yeah, my connection's not so great. Decision. 
to release all films next year in 2020. All 17 of their films have been scheduled to be released online, same day as they are possibly released in theaters. And we're trying to yeah. gauge what the reaction or what the fallout from that might be. But I have uh, I have I have something I, I thought I'd bring. Yes, up. I did, Brad. Heck, yes, I did. <laughs> I work hard for these thighs. Uh, what were you saying, Jake? Oh, I was saying uh, this actually reminds me a little bit of I guess about ten That's years cool. ago. Um, since we're talking about Warner Brothers, um, there was the time when DC decided, you know what, we're going to do day and date, do a digital release comic on Comixology of each issue coming out, along with the paper issues that come out in the brick and mortar stores. And interestingly enough, what they found was it didn't really impact brick and mortar businesses all that much because what you had was you had people, and there's it's not a perfect comparison, but what you had was you had people who would, get the comic immediately on an iOS device or whatever you want to read, like a Kindle device if you want to read it on that. But they're like what you could what you did was there was like that core audience of maybe like 200, 250,000 people that would still want to go and bag and board it from the brick and mortar store regardless. And so what was yeah. kind of nice was it was like buying here's the issue you read, here's the issue you save. Mm, now of course it's not the it's not the same with movies, but what might what what this might do is you have like there's a possibility that it actually branches out and enlarges maybe over time enlarges an audience to specific genres of film that they wouldn't necessarily go buy tickets for mm -hmm. but they would watch mm -hmm. at home and then you still have i think i i mean again this is regional depending on what theaters are allowed to be open um, government statutes about gatherings and things like that, but I think you still have a core audience that would go and pay tickets for, let's say, ne like next year, they would go to see The Suicide Squad. Like, uh, here's a James Gunn movie. It's showing an IMAX at this theater, which is open. People would go and buy tickets, even if it's at like a 25% yeah. capacity. Yeah. Um, I, th I think. I honestly think the capacity issue is probably going to be a bigger impact on tickets than a day and date VOD issue, specifically because what you have here is that if if movies are really going to want to get their um, their box office back, yeah, since since they have fewer seats they can use in a theater, they're going to have to send the movies to more theaters in a multiplex. So what you might find is that like you know. Um, a, a 10 theater multiplex is like half of it or maybe even three fourths of it is all the same movie from a studio like Warner brothers or Disney. And then you have like one or two for some of the smaller midsize. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, I think that's still going to be the bigger impact than a day and date release to be quite honest, yeah. just kind of because of what they saw with the comic books. Once kind of the same thing was happening where, you know, you could just download and read it now rather than go to a store and pay two ninety nine to get an issue. But people were still doing both. Yeah. Derek, were you trying to, to say something there? Um, well, yeah, I was just going to think about, like, do you guys think this is, first of all, let me preface, it does seem that Warner Brothers is really trying to drive subscriptions to HBO yeah. Max, um, <laughs> because it, there are a lot of subscriptions there, but not as many as, of course, not as many as Netflix, not as many yet as Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Do you think this is going to be effective for that? 100%. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, like, 
Yeah, it's hard to say. I think the biggest thing about HBO Max that so many people, I think it definitely will impact it. It will bring more people in because I think a lot of people with, and I mentioned kids earlier, fam, big families. HBO has never been a family friendly, for the most part, network. Right. You know, it's cable. And I think a lot of families probably don't have it because it's like, what am I going to be able to watch? What are my kids going to be able to watch? So, That's a street. Yeah. <laughs> right. But HBO you does have. HBO Max is so much more than yeah, just HBO. It, it is. They have so yeah. much stuff. I mean, we're watching yeah. Doctor Who on it, which is definitely a family show. Mm -hmm. But I think because HBO has always been such a broad but also vague, because someone mentioned that there's 50 mm -hmm. HBO channels. You never know which one you're getting when you get the package. So you have to order one specifically. So in that sense, it does help. There is a lot on it, but yeah. I think people are so confused about what's on it mm -hmm. that they won't subscribe. Hey, let me throw a couple um, comments from, from viewers in here. This one yeah, is this, War Thomas. Certain movies need to be seen in a theater, and others can be enjoyed just as much from home, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Topher, uh, I've got a, a very good friend, Topher. I'm going to go through his comments here in just a second. But yeah, he's had several good thoughts. Yeah, he's got great thoughts. But but Derek, what do you think about? I I think my personal and humble opinion is that this is going to be a game changer. This is um the I don't know the, the movies that need to be seen in a theater will still be released in theaters. Mm -hmm. The the Marvel films, uh, sorry, well, I was about to say the Marvel films and the Star Wars films, but Disney Plus has kind of a proven so far that Star Wars is doing so great on streaming and we'll That's see. That's be interesting. I would be really interested to hear um, what's going to happen with uh, Black Widow and Eternals. Yep. Uh, I agree. Okay, let's go ahead and, and I'm going to pull in um, Topher's opinions here real quick and then Derek, yep. I'd love to get your, your take on this. This is what Topher said and Topher is a friend of the show. Topher also, he, um, has a business that shows up at Comic-Con every year. He's invited a couple of us to be on his podcast at Comic-Con a few times about, you know, how to create a full-time creative career on a part-time basis. If you guys haven't seen it, make sure you check it out. But here's what Topher had to say. COVID has shoved viewing trends where they have been slowly moving already, viewing at home. When 30 inches is the smallest TV you buy and you can easily get a 70-inch TV by the dip TV, the difference between home and theater becomes much thinner, a much thinner declination. He also mm -hmm. goes on, I don't think we would have gotten here as quickly without COVID, but people were for better or for worse going to be going to be more home viewing. And one more, I remember going to CES, which is a conference, uh, a professional conference two years ago and standing in front of a 150 LED 4K TV. Not everyone can afford that, but when I saw that, I said to Janelle, that's his wife, by the time you get to a theater number 15, the screen is the same size as this. Derek, what say you? Um, I agree with Topher a lot. And this is something I, you know, was talking about with some former coworkers and everything. It's just this is a trend we've been seeing for a while that you know, there's a lot more going to home viewing. Um and studios were releasing so many just big budget huge movies to try and get people to the theater, things with huge special effects. Like Katie mentioned, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong is the kind of movie you'd like to see in the theater in IMAX. Those are things that we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of because studios are having to do these tentpole movies to drive people to the theater to make the money on those. Um, so in some ways it's a game changer, but as Topher is saying, it's it's a trend we were seeing already and COVID just kind of sped it up and made it where we 
you know, it wasn't just more convenient to stay at home and watch a movie. It was a thing where you had no choice, but that was what you were going to do. Um, and I agree with them too. Like people's home viewing options are better and better. Like, you know, my wife and I aren't rich per se, except, you know, that we live in America. Um, but like <laughs> by most American standards, it's not like we're in some upper tier of income, but we've been blessed because like for a wedding present, somebody gave us a Bose sound system. And then from her, cause she works at a studio and they were replacing some TVs they had for viewing. And she got one of their old ones, which is still a really nice wide flat screen. We've got, we've got a nice setup in our little two bedroom apartment in, out here. For the it's, folks at home, I can concur. It's a really nice setup. Yeah. It's very nice. Yes. Game of Thrones viewing parties, yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun with this. And like I say, you know, we, we were just blessed because stuff, there, things were given to us um, one way or another. And, you know, we had, like, I I started out having HBO Max because I was working for Warner Brothers and had a discount. Um, and it was really good. And now, like, now that I'm not at Warner Brothers anymore, like, I'm probably going to keep it because I really like the service. Um, and we've got a few streaming services like that. There are so many options for viewing things at home. And just as Tover, all that to say, as Tover was pointing out, if you go to some theaters, by the time you get to, you know, the screen 15, like he said, it's not a very big screen anymore anyway, your viewing experience might be pretty, you could create a very similar viewing experience at home with the advantage that if you got a P, you can pause it. Um, <laughs> I yeah, remember now, back when Spider-Man 2 was out in theaters a long time ago, that was so long ago, I went to the Beverly Center to see it. And the screen that I saw, I, I, I left because it was smaller than my TV screen. It was that, it was like a little bitty screening room. I was like, ah, no. Yeah. You don't want to pay like the ticket price for something like that. Now on the flip side, there's still certain advantages to going to the theater because it's not just the quality of the viewing and the sound. It's also this communal experience. It's like, yeah. it's not quite the same level as going to live theater and seeing a play, but it's, it's still similar in that you're sharing this with a whole bunch of other people. And also you've kind of, you're going out to do it. You're separating yourself from the home. Um, I know for, for Lara and me, when things get a little better, um, like if we weren't shut down right now, it'd be really nice for us to be able to get somebody to watch the kids for us and go out to a movie. And, you know, part of the fun too, like if I see a family movie, it's a whole lot better of an experience if there's a row of kids behind me laughing at all these really dumb jokes that I wouldn't laugh at otherwise. You know, it's like the scene in Finding Neverland when J.M. Barry has a whole bunch of seats scattered, reserved throughout the theater. And everybody's like, why have you saved all these seats? And then when it's time for opening night, a whole bunch of kids from the orphanage are brought in. They're sitting there interspersed throughout this audience. So like, so that's how the crowd experiences Peter Pan. All these adults who wanted to take it so seriously, <laughs> when they had kids next to them just loving the magic of it, it made a huge difference. And I feel that way so often when I go to movies, you know, um, I think Danae and I were seeing Jurassic World or something and there were kids behind us, like a row of kids. And we were, I was just like, I really hope they talk a lot during this movie because <laughs> we just, you know, we just wanted to have the fun of hearing other people's reactions, you know, and it does make a big difference. And that's something you can't always get in the home. And it, especially now during COVID, if people are still continuing to isolate, we're still going to be missing out on that. And that's something that I will pay for in a theater. Mm -hmm. um, that and an IMAX screen to see Godzilla versus King Kong, probably. Yes, yes. Or Endgame. Like, I mean, I saw Endgame and mm -hmm. everybody's reactions to Endgame is what made the experience so much better. Yeah. I think like, it's... Snakes on a plane. 
Same thing. <laughs> I think it's exactly like, um, I mean, you know, everybody, almost a lot of people I know have Kindles and Kindle books are being sold. I mean, I, I am a writer and I sell books on Kindle, but people still buy paperback and hardback books. It's one of those things where it's just a whole different experience every time that we're going to love. Just because one gets popular, it doesn't destroy the other. Like yeah. Kindle's convenient for traveling or for library stuff to get it from a library quickly. But mm-hmm. the really good books that I want to own, I don't want to buy it on Kindle. I want to own paper. Yeah. 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 newspaper. Guys, this is a newspaper. <laughs> what is that? What's that? that? Wait. Okay. Newspaper. I know both of those words, but not <laughs> together. I understand it. all these words separately. Yeah. That's, my, that's the Sunday New York Times, which is something I used to read every Sunday. It was my leisure time activity. I, I get to do it about once every five weeks now, but... I will be a sad, sad man when they stop making those. There and Kristen Gus is saying something that I, I do want to, you know, there's hello, Kristen. Thank you for commenting. There's something culturally significant about a communal viewing of a film. Yeah. Uh, a number of us here, we went through this pro uh, a screenwriting and producing program, and there was a one of the ladies who taught Barbara. She used to talk about um, back in the early days, man gathering around the campfire to hear stories, and how it was a communal thing. And that today, a movie theater is kind of like us, we gather around something that's lit up, a campfire to hear and see stories and experience them as a community. And there's something about that. And I hope and pray that we can somehow preserve that. When I was growing up, my family on Friday nights would go to the drive-in theaters where we saw Star Wars and Jaws and Indiana Jones, big buckets of popcorn, so many people out there. We'd get out in our lawn chairs and watch it outside because back then you didn't have to turn on your radio to hear it. It was like blasting everywhere. And it was a community experience. Um, Movies for 100 years have been experienced as a community thing. I understand the prevalence of, of, of streaming services. It's kind of a lifeline to an industry of people finding so much else to go. Last thing, though, before we jump off there, one of the big... Voices of Contention, Christopher Nolan came out in such a big way today. He's the director of, you know, the Batman franchise, mm-hmm. Tenet, um, Interstellar, Inception, so many things. He, he um, is very upset. He, This is what he said. The decision they made from a business point of view is fundam- fundamentally irrational. Mm-hmm. Um, he said with the 2021 movies, they made a bit of a mess and upset a lot of people because the great filmmakers and movie stars in these days, none of them were consulted. The studio, in its arrogance, let them read about it in the trade papers. Warner Brothers had an incredible machine for getting a filmmaker's work out everywhere, both in theaters and in the home, and they are dismantling it as we speak. They don't even understand what they are losing. Their decision makes no economic sense. Last bit. And even the most casual Wall Street investor can see the difference between disruption and dysfunction. Hmm. He, he spared no words in his opinion. I mean, yeah. okay, Christopher Nolan knows a lot about things that don't make any sense. <laughs> Let's start there. Also, which on Wall Street is um, getting better? Is is disruption getting more uh, points on Wall Street right now, or is dysfunction getting? Uh, which should I invest in, disruption or dysfunction? <laughs> All right, guys, listen. I mean, I I get so much of what he's saying. That's yeah. something we're going to um, we're gonna have to pay a lot of attention to that coming up. But there's something else I want us to pay attention to right about now. Shedding. 
is a wonderful independent film directed by Jake Thomas. I've heard of him. I know and him. Yeah. Stars Lex Quarterman, Carla Droge, and Jacqueline Zook. One day, here's the logline, a cat wakes up as a full-grown man. Hilarity and heartbreak ensues. Jake, congratulations. This film is out. Thank this you. Week. You forgot to mention one star. He's right behind me. Hey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Aaron. It's only all of them. This is Aaron, my wife, for those watching who don't know her. This is Panda our cat. Uh, he's the, he plays the main character of the movie. Uh, he uh, inspired the whole movie just because mm -hmm. he likes to spend his days looking out the window. And I wondered, well, what would he do if he got the chance to go out there? And how would that be possible? So we thought of a fairy tale basically and told this story and I was filming him for years and then was doing a lot of editing with stuff and he's camera shy, believe it or not, even though he's a star of a film. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. So uh, this is something we've been working on for a long time and it's finally coming out on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, uh, Google play. It's on demand also starting tomorrow. And I think I just heard if you're on the East coast, you can, you can get it, it might now. even be West coast too. Actually, I think my mom sent me that text. Okay. So I just realized she's West coast now. So. Yeah. I mean, definitely you can get it. You can pre-order it on iTunes, but uh, yeah. So you guys, tonight, tonight, watching us live, we'll put a post up about the film tonight with all the links that we can possibly find in this film. This is right. the other actor that's in it. Uh, this is a this is Apollo. He plays the other cat in the movie. <laughs> oh my god! Only Double the cats for your buck. Only right. if all directors took you home to live with them after they made a film. <laughs> well, not not without getting me too, but this is uh this is a nice guy. Yeah. So uh, he's he's shy too as well. He has no idea who I'm talking to. He's like, I don't see anybody. And, and hey Jake, would you for those who may not know, would you want to, if she's okay, would you want to introduce Erin? She was a producer in the film, correct? She was a producer and also one of the DPs. Uh, she just ran off though. Uh, okay. she's like, nope. that's, my, yeah, that's my wife, collaborator and a producer and director in her own right, who does amazing things on the YouTube channel Versatile Assassins. And you can also see her other work on um, workbyerinbrown.com. Yeah, yeah. Plug. <laughs> Jake and Aaron are kind of like a What's that? Did you write it as well, Jake? I did write this movie, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting production because it was a lot of like, you know, basically like if you're watching this movie, like the stuff with the animals was done years before the stuff with the actors. And a lot of the stuff with the animals inspired the stuff that came about with the actors. So it was like all separated basically. So it was like yeah. shooting, editing, then writing, then more <laughs> shooting, and then editing, and then post-production. Derek, you were at the premiere, right? I was, yeah, and I uh, was privileged to see, you know, an early rough cut uh, before that too, because because Jake's my friend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I was gonna comment. Jake and Aaron are kind of like an indie filmmaking power couple, and they both are doing their own things, and they do stuff together, and they're both really good writers because I've read work by both of them. Um, and this is just a good example of some of the stuff they've done. I mean, Shedding is, yeah, it is a fun movie, and like the actors that they got, like. Lex, who plays the human version of the cat, is he's a guy who's done uh, acrobatic trapeze work and all this stuff. And <laughs> so he's he's very nimble and is a, he moves in a way that looks very convincing. Like, oh, this is a cat in a human body. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, in a, in a strange way, like I would say, if you like movies like Big or even in, in kind of a way, Edward Scissorhands, I think you'll like this movie. Yeah. I think I know some cat owners that'll watch it. Just That's saying. true. I'm excited to watch it. Oh, it was but, and, great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's also very, it's very understated too. I mean, like, it's, it's the way it's different from the films uh, Jake just mentioned is it's like, it's a lot of it's very, um, I mean, it's not slow, but it's like one of those where it's like, you, there's, there are a bunch of scenes without any dialogue and you're just watching and it's, which I love when a film can accomplish that in, a, in an effective way. And this one does, you just, you, you clearly know what's going on in the story without anyone having to say anything for a long time, because so much of it, you're just watching a cat exploring and then the cat is exploring as a human and just trying to find his way around outside and figuring things out. Um, yeah, it is, it is really interesting and very moving. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we did that deliberately. We were saying, you know, let's make something that kind mm -hmm. of tells its story the same mm -hmm. pace that a cat would experience the world and experiences their day to day life. It felt that way. I, and like, I, I just want to um, jump on what Derek said. I thought some of the most affecting parts of that film is when you see the cat staring at the window. And does the cat want to be out there? What is the cat thinking? You know, what? Mm -hmm. and, and um, and then when he becomes a human, he he kind of still you can tell you did a great job with Lex and everybody. He kind of still has those feelings of like I want to be out there. I want to be doing this. I want to be experiencing more than this this living room windowsill. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit for those who may be completely unfamiliar with the film? Give us a little bit about what it's what it's about. What happens without without spoiling anything? Oh, sure. No, uh, exactly like you said. Um, the main character is a cat, and what he wants more than anything is just to go outside because he's stuck in his house all day, something that we can all can relate to basically right now. Um, one day he gets the chance when he wakes up and he has a human body. He has to get used to it. He figures out a way to get out and explore, and then, of course, he doesn't understand clothes, so he's walking around naked. Everyone is panicking when they see him. But then there's this one woman who kind of takes him in and becomes his surrogate guide to the outside world, takes him all these like fun places. And then in the second half of the movie, you find out that this weird twist of fate connection that this woman, her daughter, have with the, the human form of this cat. Yeah. And also it becomes a story about their family reconciliation based on his presence. Kind of like how animals can make you feel better just by being around. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Especially cats. Especially and dogs yeah. and gerbils. I mean, I've heard like stroking a cat, like the purring of a cat, it like really does reduce blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's something very soothing about that because cats have a tendency to sit very still. Not, you know, some dogs do that, but cats in particular have that effect, the purring and everything. It's like, it's the closest thing we have to tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you must, to quote Bob Barker, always remember to spay and neuter your pets because you don't want trouble with tribbles in your house. Exactly. Yes. With your cats. Mm -hmm. so think, um, but it, it's more than it, for for people who are say, listening saying, "I don't want to just watch a story." Well, let me take that back. There's probably 50 million people who would love to just watch a cat mm -hmm. around. Because did you know that as of the last? Well, I don't know if this is still true, but apparently the um, cats have passed up dogs as the as America's most favorite pet. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I haven't so, heard that. I know that when it's the internet, cats always win. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Videos and, of cats will always, always trump videos of other animals. Whenever I'm bored, if I'm trying to find something on Netflix, I can't find it. I always go to YouTube and put in cats. 
and cats doing stupid stuff is the yeah. fun. I, I'll, I'll watch that for hours. Yeah. But this, by the way, this is not that film. I want everyone to know this is not that film. This film, although is, it, I think it's um, deceivingly simple in its premise, but mm -hmm. the way it plays out with so much heartbreak and so yeah. much pain that the cat gets to help walk through is quite quite a thing. Look, Brad, there's thighs again. Yeah, so, there's my niece. <laughs> can you? I mean, again, we don't want to ruin it, but like, can you talk a little bit about like? Wow, where did that come from? That that deep that that deep layered of the layers of this film. Um, I I think when I like the second half of the movie, when you kind of find out more history about the people who take the human cat in, that came from just kind of answering some logical questions about why would they do this? You know, who who are they? Who are these characters? What's their connection? And then I always I love simple like deceptively simple stories that have like this that happen for a purpose and you know why they happened. Um, and this will segue into what we talk about later in the evening, but whenever I would try to tell someone who hadn't seen the show Doctor Who before what it was about, and I'd say, well, it's about an alien who's almost a thousand years old or over a thousand years old. Um, he has two hearts and he travels through time and space in a telephone booth that's bigger on the inside. And when you say that to people, they look at you like there's lobsters crawling out of your ears. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then when they, but but then when they watch it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is the greatest TV show I've ever seen in my life." But when you tell someone, it's foolishness to them. But when you when they experience it, it's like salvation and soul affirming and all that stuff. So I like stories like that. So I think that's what that's what fed into this movie with me wanting to make it a little bit more deeper than you might think of like, you know, a, a body swap type of movie or a transformation type. Movie. And I love how he's subtly transitioning to our next yeah. but not yet. <laughs> I not know. Yet. Not yet, no, I'm just you know, foreshadowing. Sounds yeah, yeah. like he's trying to give it a segue, yeah. <laughs> Katie, so Katie, you haven't seen it yet, neither have you, Danae, right? No. Mm -mm. Jake, real quick, um, was there anything significant about how you made the film? Yes, um, we shot this on iPhone. Uh, so, yeah. huge. So, yeah, um, it started that way because it was literally the camera that I had at the ready with me at all times. So, in case, because like, you know, filming with the animals, I wasn't directing them. It was just literally trying to capture moments <laughs> as they happened. So, I had to have something that was reaching in my pocket. And then the technology kept improving a little bit more uh, and more every single year. So, by the time we were shooting with actors, it was like, well, let's just keep going with this so it matches. And so, like, you know, we, we can also do some cool tricks with it with like, cause you know, that smaller format, you can get it into different places that like, you know, the larger cameras might not necessarily fit into. Um, you can figure out like, Erin's really great with this. She can figure out different ways of mimicking like production value shots on a smaller scale and then using that on location. Um, so yeah, we were, we just kind of kept along. And if it's good enough for Steven Soderbergh, it's good enough for us. So that's why we just kept working with it. <laughs> no, and we're, we're a bunch of writers and filmmakers here on, on the podcast. The thing that's so interesting, and um, full disclosure, myself, Jake, and Derek, we sometimes read each other's scripts. Oh, and Danae as well, because we're part of a writer's group. But <laughs> the thing that's so cool, though, is your story about, yeah, you were able to make this film on the cheap on the on on weekends and i mean that's it's such an inspired this tale the tale of how you made the the story is inspiring all by itself that's yeah 
so great about I, well i mean we talked about christopher nolan earlier and literally like i would just read articles about how he shot following and like what you know the things that he was doing to kind of do all those early you know those early movies where they were like scrounging stuff together and getting it out there so yep. yeah hey does anybody else have any questions of jake before we jump into doctor who anybody else let me also say, um, on Facebook, we're at at Shedding Feature Film. On Instagram, we are at Shedding Underscore Film. And this is important. The next three days, um, a company called CatCon Worldwide is going to be doing social media posts for us on their Facebook and Instagram feeds. So if anyone wants to go and like and follow CatCon Worldwide, uh, share those mm -hmm. posts, comment on those posts, because that will bump us up in their um, algorithm. I was going to say CatCon, like... CatCon. Yeah, it's no, like I know Comic Con. No, I know what it is. I've, yeah, okay. I have friends who've gone and exhibited at CatCon, so uh, I do know what it is. Yeah. So, also hey, what, what is the Facebook one? It's Shedding Feature Film. Is that what it is? At Shedding Feature Film, and Instagram is Shedding underscore Film. Okay. Again, I am not very quick at this. <laughs> Okay, so, you guys heard them, I, I, and, yeah, and, and, and the links below. If you want to pre-order it, that you know it's it's available tomorrow, but you can you can still pre-order it on yeah. iTunes. Yeah, very cool, Jake. Thank you so much for. We have a question from a. From yeah, a let's let's take this question. Um, okay. it says basically wants to, uh, Topher again wants to know how you edited it and. Did he use native video app or Filmic Pro or something? Oh, um, we were shooting on Filmic Pro, which is what Tangerine was shot on. Mm -hmm. Um, initially, I was working on um, eight millimeter, which was used for uh, searching for Sugar Man. Uh, some shots in that, so it, it was kind of around the time that those apps dropped. I first just basically started playing around with them and filming some of the earliest footage that wound up in the movie. For editing, um, it was a, a premiere. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Jake. Everybody, go out and get this film. You, you, and this kind of segues a little bit into our, our last topic. Just, I just wanted to like kind of like put a bow on it. Like, I think when we talk about the streaming versus movies, there back in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties, there used to be a, a type of film you could still find in theaters, which we don't see anymore. It's a little bit of a mid, either a mid budget or low budget film made mm -hmm. less for kids and more for an adult, not because it was dirty or nasty, but because it was just more mature in its subject matter. And those types of films we are losing in the movie theater. I mean, we have indie theaters, but the one good thing about streaming is it does allow certain films like this to, to be able to get out. And so I'm, I'm so happy for you guys, Jay. Congratulations at this film. Let's give it All right. Thank you. Guys, let's talk for a second about Doctor Who. This is what we told everybody we were going to talk about tonight. For the record, this conversation came about because Katie was... Uh, Katie, do you remember the conversation, what was happening? I just remembered I was letting you guys know that I was catching up on Doctor Who. I don't remember the first text I sent. I mean, I could look back, but it might take me a while, so I won't be able to remember exact. But because me and my roommate, uh, when we first... When her sister first got access to HBO Max, um, we were like, oh, we can finally watch Doctor Who. And it took us a while to actually sit down and try to catch up on it. Yeah. Um, but the last few days, because we did kind of expand, like exhaust what we were watching, we were like, let's try to, let's just try to get through it again. Because we've tried watching it a couple times in the past few years and had trouble. So that's mm -hmm. what 
caused that conversation. And I know Derek watches and Danae watches, and we know Ben is a massive Hoobian as well. So yeah. Yeah. he's not able to be with us tonight. He he really regrets that. And he also regrets regrets that Gallifrey is not did not happen last year. And it looks as if it will not be happening this coming it year. It happened last year, didn't it? It was no. before. Oh wait, that's right. They did have it. Yeah, it was it happened last year because it's in February. It's on it's in February 14th. But I don't know if they went, but I think that they had it. I don't remember though. Oh, I'll have to look into that. I think mm -hmm. you're right. But yeah, he met he met Eccleston, didn't he? Isn't that this year that he met Eccleston? I think you may be right. And yeah. I, I this is it's another um it's been to eight years, so it's hard to know. It's hard I know. to know. It's 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 because of the COVID year. I don't know what yeah. year we're in. I don't know where we're at. I like when someone said that um like when Jake, when you told us that we came to your your premiere, I'm like, that was this year? It's so long ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and actually, we um, the last festival we got to go to with our movie, Shedding, was in Sedona, Arizona. And then literally two weeks later was the shutdown. So that was like our last big hurrah wow. before. Yeah. All right. So, hey, Derek, if you can hear us, um, your, your camera's gone down. So we're going to remove you until you maybe log back in. But here, here's, here's some big news. This year's festive special. Oh, wait. Derek's back. Derek, wait. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I had to. I, the monitor was making noise, so I had to go check on a kid. But oh, no worries. Speaking of kids, I love the way your Christmas tree is up on that table behind you. Yeah, that's necessary. Out, um, of, out of the kid zone. They, well, they can still kind of reach it, but we're like only touch with one finger, just one finger, just one finger, um, and we have to say it over and over again, and then correct them, and then move them somewhere else, and tell them again. Um, yeah, there, but my tree has Doctor Who stuff. There's a little TARDIS right here. I don't know if you can see it. And then there's a weeping angel up at the top. I still oh, good. It's still there. We're going to talk about that just a second. Here, we're talking about the big news right now, which mm -hmm. is John Behrman is stepping back into the shoes or the coat of Captain after a decade-long absence. Although we did see him briefly in an episode of season 12 called Fugitive of the Judoon. Did I say that right? Judoon. Yeah, but, but for the before that, the last uh, time that the character appeared in Doctor Who was back in 2010. And he was also in Torchwood for just a little bit, which that kind of got canceled in 2011. Now he's coming back. So do, do you guys, are you familiar with the setup of why he's coming back? Not at all, because I have not watched any of Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> okay. I um, am also unsure as to why, but I will get to that when you let me rant. Okay, I'm not sure. I have a feeling it has something to do with traveling through time. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Danae's rant. Really? I don't know, Jake. That sounds like a little bit of a leap. But he's back. He's back to deal with some serious trouble brought by um wait a second, the Daleks. The doctor herself is currently Dalek. I'm so terrible. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna be the first one, guys. We have four Doctor Who. Fans, old Uber fans, they know what they're talking about. They're professionals. I am I am so out of my element here. I'm gonna hey here, I can come over and lead this conversation. But let me just say this the doctor herself is unable because of some circumstances that have just happened. She's locked up. So it's up to the former companion to try and save the day in an episode called Revolution of the Daleks. Mm. <laughs> All right. Offer up your opinion. Let's hear about it. 
Well, I'm excited to see this for the first time in a long time. I'm excited about a Doctor Who episode because, yeah, um, yeah because, I mean, you said the right words. Like you said, Dalek, you said John Barrowman, um, Captain Jack Harkness, like all of that is pulling me in. I do love the Jejun. It's been a while since we've seen them and it's nice to have them back. I think um, I'm about to get on a rant. So if you want to talk about something else, please stop me. But, <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Um, according to Cosmic News, each new episode of season 12 just kept losing more and more viewers. And um, we they ended up losing about a million viewers for the show this season. Dang. Yeah, and honestly, um, a little bit of some of the reading up I did and a little bit of my own opinion comes down to the point of the charm and humor of Doctor Who has just gone. Like, it is not the show that it used to be. I want, like, um, you know, one of my favorite moments was Christopher Eccleston telling, a, you know, a alien disguised as human excuse me do you mind not farting while i'm saving the world like you just don't have lines like that anymore it's um something that sort of started to happen a little bit when clara was brought in and then just really went full force after they brought in jody whittaker was that every episode was about a point and not about a story which you can have a very good point like that is storytelling is to deliver a message to someone but if your whole episode is about a point then there's no story and nobody wants to deal with that because I mean, you had some great moments in um, like parting of the ways, the season one finale, or excuse me, mm -hmm. season with Eccleston finale, you're dealing with the fact that everybody is just so consumed with all of these reality and um, competition TV shows that they don't, they have lost any value for human life. And then um, I wanted to read a really great quote from Love and Monsters, which is one that we all kind of skip because the Doctor isn't in it as much. But some like a line from it says, underrated. underrated. That's exactly mm -hmm. right, Derek. When you're a kid, they tell you it's all grow up, get a job, get married, have a kid, and that's it. But the truth is the world is so much stranger than that and so much better. Like there were so many beautiful lines that you had that have just been left behind. I'm flipping the page on my notebook. Um, and another thing, like I said, I'm excited to see Daleks because we have stopped seeing Daleks and Cybermen. Like everything is a brand new um, alien from somewhere else, which can be fun. But if that's all you're getting, that's not Doctor Who. There needs to be there needs to be a Dalek. There needs to be a Cyberman. Like I want to see those things again, even though like I know how it's going to end. That's what I want to see. It's it's Doctor Who. Um, also, really quick, I'm doing all of this while holding my Sonic screwdriver. So. Um, <laughs> What? That is, that is, a, is that a ten? Wait, wait, which doctor's screwdriver is that? Well, that, that is a, nine and ten. I okay, bought yeah, this. I was gonna say, that's a ten. And, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bought this in 2008 at an ASDA in Scotland. So oh, this is oh. this is tenant. This is a tenant screwdriver. Yeah, where where he's from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Just kind of piggybacking off of that, it feels like the fun is gone. You don't have, you had this a little bit in the season with Capaldi with Bill. I really loved that season and I hated that, spoiler alert, Bill was only there for one season because she was amazing. I felt like I was watching um, a 10th doc, a Doctor and Donna episode every time because they were just having fun with it. And, you know, you don't have like that Amy and Rory sass and that fun stuff. You know, you don't have the 11th Doctor sitting up and saying, oh, I survived. I love it when that happens. I think they kind of forced it when they brought in Jodie Whittaker, which kind of gets me into my point a little bit. I think Clara really ruined it for me because her whole thing was I was born to save the doctor. And it's like, come on, every single companion has done that. That can't be your thing. Like, yeah. it needs to be a better thing because every companion has saved the doctor. Shut up, Clara. 
likes you. I'm gonna get flagged for that, but I don't care. I didn't like Clara. I liked I liked her first two episodes, and then when they explained her, she just it was like, oh, what's this cool thing? Oh, it's nothing. And I think they yeah. kind of did that with Missy too. It was just lazy writing. We had this character who we didn't know who she was. She called herself Missy. There was an amazing fan theory that she was Miss Evangelista. From, that was my theory. Yeah, that was Derek's theory. Thank you. From um, the library, which would have been awesome. But all they did is they bring her out and she's just like, oh, I'm the master BT dub, which is just so like lazy. If you wanted her to be the master, I think they really should have just sprinkled the clues all the way through and they didn't. It was like, they were like, yeah. oh, what are we going to do with this character? Let's make her the master. They didn't. There wasn't a lot of planning. It was just lazy writing to explain who she was. Um, okay, again, we don't have lines like 900 years of time and space, and I've never met somebody who wasn't important. Like, you don't have the value of um, life. You don't have those fun moments. Okay, and this is what really killed me when we got into Jodie Whittaker. I wanted to give it a chance because um, the companion that season had a disability, which I thought was awesome that they were bringing in. But I watched Jodie Whittaker's first episode, and it just didn't it didn't grab me. It was not Fish Fingers and Custard. It was not um, the Christmas special where Tenet was introduced. It was just, it, I don't know. It was just, it didn't even feel like Doctor Who when I watched it. That's where she falls through the train. She lands in the train, and then uh, it's like the adventure in the in the construction yard. Yeah. Of, yeah. 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 That whole thing. Yeah. So sorry. I have a kid running around in her bed right now. I'm debating whether to go in and see to that or to just let her tire Derek, herself out. important. We're talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, that was the noise that was coming from my mic a second ago. It was just, it's coming over the monitor. Um, no, no, that, that's fine, Derek. If it, I can mute you when that starts coming over. That's that's no problem. But I, I would love for, and, and Danae, don't lose your passion. But Derek, if you do have to leave, I don't want you to leave before you comment on what Danae is saying, though. Um, okay. Yeah, but go on, Danae. I okay. This is my last thing. So this is what lost me on um, the Jodie Whittaker Doctor was the Rosa Parks episode because yes, it's a lot of historical fiction. I write historical fiction, but I'm also a history nerd, and I think Doctor Who was really clever all the times before of changing around history things and being silly, but really incorporating those little things that you didn't know about happening. Like there really was a party where Marilyn Monroe ran off with the guy and claimed to get married, which was something that kind of happened on the side in an episode with, um, a Matt, with the Matt Smith doctor. And um, so here was or my the, Or the David Tennant episode where um, um, the author of Murder on the Orient Express, Agatha Christie disappeared for a couple of days and didn't yeah, really have a memory of it. really ever. happened. Yeah. And not to mention, there were always rumors of other people writing for Shakespeare. Like there was a rumor of what of Love's Labor's yep. one that was never found, like those little things. So here's the, what made me mad. First of all, Rosa Parks was not convinced by a white woman to not give up her seat on the bus. Right. And right. yeah, that was the big issue for me is that a white person told Bart Rosa Parks to do that. Secondly, um, Rosa Parks was not the first person to not give up her seat on the bus. That was actually a woman by the name of Claudette Colvin, who was 15 years old at the time. And she was arrested. She was thrown into jail. She was beaten quite a bit. But the thing was, Claudette was actually pregnant and a minor. So what um, they almost staged, there is a rumor, I don't know if this is true or not, but it was rumored that they did stage the sit-in for Rosa Parks. At the very least, her story was pushed farther because they were like, you know what? She's a married woman that we're going to be able to get people to get behind. She can be seen as a hero. Whereas Claudette, who is a friend of Rosa Parks, by the way, was a pregnant teenager, even though, and I just, that really 
really got under my skin that they were just going to throw out this awesome thing that happened. And by the way, three people, two of whom are white, told Rosa Parks not to give up her seat on the bus. And that's just kind of... That was yes. the moment for me where I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I was, um, I did watch another episode later that was had to do with, um, like the witch trials, but it just, that's where they lost me. I felt like they were trying to make a point, which is an awesome point. I mean, Rosa Parks did a wonderful thing and it's a great story that I love hearing about and learning about, even though I know so much about it and I've heard it a lot, I will always be happy to hear it again, but they just really yes. like punched it in the face, in my opinion. Yeah, and that was kind of the moment where I was like, this isn't Doctor Who anymore. This is somebody that's trying too hard and pretending to be Doctor Who. And with that, um, that episode had the least interesting villain in Doctor Who history. Like, do you remember <laughs> anything about him? It was just, he was just a criminal from the future who, uh, who was racist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the villain's motivation? That's it? That's the best you can come up with? People in the United States weren't racist. They were all just villains from the future or aliens or something. Is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> Anyways, that's the end of my rant. I went through quite a lot of pages and I went fast and I will probably have comments to say to other people after they talk, but I wanted to show that I wrote it all with my TARDIS pen and I used my River Song journal quite a bit. I appreciate yeah. your comments there. I really do appreciate it. That, that's fantastic. I mean, and I do have to say, um, before he goes, Luke said, since this is all, Luke goes, play a game called Stump the Gym. It, it's easy. I won't know anything. <laughs> then also, Susie Ward Thomas confession, Doctor Who for me is either David Tennant or Matt Smith. But, I love David Tennant and Matt Smith, but Eccleston oh. will always be my favorite doctor. Tover, what she said. You're getting to hey, Tover. My mom got a shout out from Tover. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um. But I did hear a couple that Katie, you kind of agreed with I some of what D D Danae was saying. I don't I'll let Danae kind of speak to that, but I remember the conversation about Clara. Yeah. Okay. And so, Derek, you chimed in a little bit on this as well. Yeah. But you go ahead, Katie, and I'll weigh in too. So for the longest time, like when when we still had Matt Smith, I didn't mind I didn't mind Clara. Like I was like, oh, okay, she's fine. She's not Amy and Rory, who are my favorite to this day. Contrary to popular belief, I loved Amy and Rory. Um, and I like I didn't mind Clara at first, but the longer she stayed, and I do believe very firmly that she overstayed her welcome, mm -hmm. um, she got worse, uh, especially once we got a uh, um, regeneration. Um, obviously, as a character, you understand why it's a little bit hard to mesh with someone whose face changes and entire persona changes. That's going to be a shock to anybody. But she just got really annoying. Um, and every every companion has a time frame in which their story works and is still enjoyable. Some people can be in three seasons and it's okay. Some people can be in three episodes and you're like, that's enough. Um, and she was in two and a half seasons, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, which it, felt, it felt longer, though. <laughs> um, so it was, it, it was kind of hard. Me and my roommate were both like, she was okay for the first season of Capaldi. But in her second season, which we just watched her farewell episode, which mm -hmm. I don't want everybody's seen up to the end of Clara, right? Uh, other than Jim. 
Jake, did I don't you know who you're talking about. I, uh, I have not seen the end of Clara. I okay. actually, I, I cheated. I jumped ahead to uh, Capaldi's last episode before his uh, Christmas episode. Gotcha. So I, I think it would have been Bill's last episode. Gotcha. I don't know if you're there yet. I don't want to spoil it, but there was. That's okay. I, I, I've. Uh, there is an episode which was honestly one of the better episodes that I had seen up until this. And that is the second to last episode of the second series that he is in. Now, they had an ending to her character. And I was like, that was actually a pretty decent ending. But then they do what Moffat loves to do and bring people back. You don't it, like completely, that? it completely lessened the impact of everything that was done in the episode before. Mm -hmm. Mm. If it had ended where it ended the first time, it would have been better. But as soon as I saw her come back in the next episode, it lost me. I was like, no, you, you diminished all the power that she had in the last episode by bringing her back. Mm -hmm. They also left it open-ended, which I'm hoping they resolve, but I have no idea. But I wanted to continue to like Clara, but I couldn't. Um, and I think the best way to explain it is that she just overstayed her welcome. Mm. Because the I longer a companion's there, the harder you, it is for you to continue to like her. You had more direct words. You said she became a brat. She did, but a lot of the companions have. So, um, but she did. I mean, I can't think of the way to, I mean, I know Danae kind of touched on her problems with, with her. And the thing is, is there gets to be a point where they're arguing with the doctor and you kind of just go, shut up. <laughs> and that's, that was my problem. That's reasons why I didn't like Martha. Martha? Donna Noble? No, not Donna Noble. Okay. Oh, yeah. Martha, the yeah. um, Regina. Yeah. I yeah, thought she liked, she liked to have the last word. And that's why I didn't care for her either. So it's just one of those things. And I don't know if it was the writing. Uh, Moffat kind of fell off towards the end of his time on Doctor Who. Um, but he was on it for a really long time. I don't know if it's his fault. I don't know if it was just this, this, those seasons in general were hard to get into. Yeah. The first two seasons well, were hard. And Derek, yeah, I do think, in, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Moffat, you know, had some great plans for several seasons. And then it seemed like, like you're saying, after he used those up, basically after he made his big reveal about River Song and had the couple of um, season arcs that he had planned for the 11th Doctor, once those were done and he was still the showrunner, it was kind of like he used up the great ideas he had and there were other things he just tried to do and Clara, Clara or Clara, I don't care, I'm American, I'm going to yeah. say Clara. Um, <laughs> um, Clara was one of those ideas that just like didn't quite work, so my take on her, which by the way, Donna Noble is my favorite companion and I think will always be. Um, yeah, but Clara, um, Clay, her, <laughs> She was awesome in, when we first met her in Victorian England in The Snowmen. And then, you know, spoiler, uh, she dies. Um, and then she's still sort of interesting when we meet her in Asylum of the Daleks. Um, because you're like, oh, there's a mystery here. But, spoiler alert, she dies. Um, One and of my then, favorite episodes, so, by the way. What's that? One of my favorite episodes, by the way. Yeah, so. still a cool episode. I still liked her better in Victorian England than I did there. She was yeah. more interesting then. And, and, but she was still interesting there and then they bring her back in like just modern 21st century um you know kind of regular girl 
she's way less interesting for some reason um because she's way more clever in victorian england and she's really smart still in asylum of the daleks like she's coming up with stuff but she's like tortured there basically and um then you get here and she's just not that interesting she's not doing much that's cool except you know she seems nice i guess because she's taking care of kids um but yeah, and then so, but the mystery about her is, oh, how does she keep popping up in all these different time periods? But it kind of takes away any real threat because she dies and she's always back. So we're not really, we didn't have a reason to be worried about her. The mystery that, and that became like what was supposed to be the mystery for the whole season. And no, there wasn't any concern for it. You know, there was no, mm -hmm. no real stakes there because she dies and she always shows up again. Um, so there was no reason to be worried, you know, and it's like, if that had been handled differently, maybe I would have been more interested. Or maybe if she had been as cool as she was in Victorian England, where she was like, it was like she was leading a double life because she was a governess, but also a barmaid. And she was, you know, doing these things in secret so that she could investigate the mysterious things happening around London. Um, and that was cool. And if modern Clara were doing anything like that, she would have still been interesting. But when she was actually with the doctor, she just not wasn't doing anything cool anymore. Um, and we had no reason to worry about her like the stakes were so low yeah um so we had that kind of thing and then the whole danny pink storyline like i i sort of liked him i wanted to um but then the way they handled it they like you saw the future where it looked like it was his descendant you saw the past and you had all these things like and then for no reason at all nothing in the season told us that they changed the timeline but um he died yep so like none of the future that they saw happened but we didn't get anything in in there indicating that like they had changed that but it did change so, and there were so many things that were just completely unresolved. Like there's the episode, I think it's called Hide, where it's like, they think somebody's under the bed or like they yeah. go way into the future and the guy thinks there's some some creature outside his spaceship. Oh yeah, and somebody's leaving notes on like the, um, inside the TARDIS and we don't know who's doing it. Yeah, but we're supposed to believe that the doctor's just that absent-minded at that point. Like he's, and that's another problem I have with Capaldi. Sometimes they made him so um, eccentric that he's, it was hard to take him seriously and it was like he didn't care about anything and he was just completely removed from reality sometimes um, which is a total departure from everything we love about the doctor who just wants to save people no matter yeah. what yeah um, whereas capaldi the way he's written he just so often he just doesn't care and that was hard to deal with too which i know eggleston started out that way some but it was more just he was hardened after the time war and that was just yeah. a tough exterior whereas eggleston it was like he would just had dementia and just didn't care what was going on. Capaldi had dementia. Sorry, Capaldi. Uh, sorry, Maybe I, I have dementia. Because um, he's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there were a lot of things like that. And like, so we had those last few seasons that were going that way. And then we got like, oh, we're getting a new, a new doctor, new companion, new showrunner. And I was like, hey, that could be a cool reset switch. We'll see what happens. And the episodes still just were even less interesting than they'd been in a while. Um, yeah. and so I stopped, it might, Rosa might've been the last episode I saw. So coupled with this, I started doing direct TV now and I was saving these in the, like a cloud DVR thing. And there was no warning, but everything just got deleted because apparently the true cloud DVR only keeps your material for so long. Um, but they didn't tell us that at the time. And then all the episodes I had saved just went away. And then, you know, at the time we didn't have HBO max. You know, some of the Doctor Who stuff would show up on Amazon Prime much later. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's how I once I you fell way, that. way behind. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother at this point. Yeah, it was hard to catch up because it kept 
it was on Netflix for a while, and then it went to mm-hmm. Amazon. And, but it didn't go on Amazon until like a, a, a year later. And then yeah. like I was in the middle of watching it, and it got taken off Amazon. So it's like I'm not surprised the ratings went down and the audience went down because no one knew where no. the hell to watch it. Where and the episodes weren't even great anyway. If they were like, like I might have still watched because some of them were still sort of interesting. I still wanted to see where it went. But like having coupling not great episodes together with, you know, difficult access, you're going to lose audience. I felt like a big issue too that happened with the rating a bit um, of Clara because right before that, I mean, we had like our last season with um, where can we watch it now? It's on HBO Max, right? Um, And I think Britbox also. Um, But I think what happened was with um, when we were reaching up to the battle at Demon Run, Demons Run, and when a good man goes to war, we we built up to one of the best reveals I think I've ever seen in a TV show, which. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, we find out about River Song and it was just amazing. And it really seemed like we kind of, we finished up with Amy and Rory. We had the Angels Take Manhattan and it was a great story. And then it felt like every episode after that, they wanted to, are you laughing at me, King? No, I, it makes me sad to think about Angels Take okay. Manhattan, that's all. No, that is, um, oh, I sobbed. I sobbed in that episode. But um, it felt like after that though, every episode had to top when a good man goes to war, which you just can't do because it was something that was, you know, at that point over five years getting set up. And you can't top it with a three episode arc. And it felt like that was their attempt. But it was almost like saying, I'm giving you mac and cheese and surprise, there's bacon bits in it. And you're going from something like that to I'm giving you mac and cheese. And I added some cheddar cheese in it this time. Hey, Susie, we're talking about and, and Jake, I want you to answer this one because you, first of all, Derek, you did, you would have continued to watch it if it hadn't all disappeared. You would have been caught up probably. Eventually, so you, you didn't like just say, "Hey, I'm not watching it anymore." It just it yeah. disappeared from your viewing availability. But Susie Ward Thomas wants to know: Do we need to catch up? Can they? Can someone have? Does someone have to go back and watch everything, or is it written in such a way that you can just dive back into it? What do you think, Jake? Well, I, I mean, I've been like since the Jody Whittaker episodes were a new showrunner, people said, oh yeah, just start, if you haven't seen all of Capella, you can like watch his last episode or you can just jump in with Jody Whittaker and get the, and, and kind of keep up with it. Uh, is how I was advised. Cause I, I have not seen all of Capella's run. And, and Jake's the only one who's been watching the Jody Whittaker episodes, right? I've seen no. two. Well, no, Danae and Derek have watched more. Yeah, they've seen. Yeah, us. they've seen more. I've than seen um, the Rosie Harmon and all that stuff that she talked about okay. earlier. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you guys this: um, How can it be fixed? If for those of you who have decided to turn away from it, I don't want to say because it's fifty years old. Come <laughs> on. Yeah. My um. When when I when I was first my my best friend Drew he's the one who introduced me to the show almost a decade ago now and one of the things I realized that I really enjoyed about some of the earlier seasons of the reboot was that it was um, like the companion stories like the Doctor kind of came into their life and it was this interesting mix of he both made it better but there was a bittersweetness of something that they lost either with him or something in life because you had Rose whose father had died when she was young but thanks to the doctor after her two seasons her family got to be together again because of two different dimensions merging where she got to be with her mom from one dimension 
and her dad from another dimension, but mm -hmm. the, but she could never be with the doctor again because of that dimensional divide. So, and then like Martha's family that season, like the family kind of was a little bit, you know, in discord. They got back together at the end of it after the whole world takeover by the master. Donna was this woman who wanted to leave her humdrum existence. She got to do stuff no companion had ever done and be like one of the most substantial characters in the show. But then they had to wipe her minds. I'm spoiling everything for anyone who hasn't seen <laughs> the series. Then they had to wipe her mind so her so she wouldn't go mad with all this knowledge. And then even Amy and Rory's first episode, like you found out, Amy, this is really spoiling everything. Like Amy didn't even realize she had this family that was lost until then you get to the end of her wedding day. And like the last episode of season five is absolutely beautiful. Um, and that I think like season six, like I love the you know, the silence and a good man goes to war and all that stuff. But I feel like a lot of the significance about it being the companion stories and it kind of told in a compact kind of thing. Cause then the doctor was this traveling angel going on and helping people over the long term as well as each episode that kind of got lost. But I think that's what I resonated the most with over like each of the seasons, I guess. I don't know. So maybe if you brought back some of that a little bit. I think um, I concur. Like, I think it would have to be, um, a good companion that is ha is going through something and learning and growing after experiencing a loss while simultaneously like the doctor is learning something at the same time. It would have to be a doctor that does care and isn't um, isn't too absent-minded but has the funny lines and hopefully it's Ginger this time. <laughs> I uh, So I'm going to kind of compare it's like whenever there's a new doctor it's really hard and this is a, an ongoing thing anytime uh, the doctor regenerates the person that the next doctor, everybody can't get used to them right away. It's mm -hmm. always a transition where people hate that doctor at first, then they're, then it kind of grows on them. And then that doctor leaves. It's an ongoing cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, and for example, I couldn't, I thought Capaldi was slow for the first one and three quarter seasons that he was in. And he <laughs> finally gets interesting at the end of season his second season and I'm like, and he's going to leave in 10 episodes. So I think that they need to find the rhythm that they used to have. But the issue is, is with a different showrunner, it's, it's hard to do because it's kind of almost like a reboot of the franchise because it's in new hands. Um, it needs to have more heart. I think that's the biggest thing. Doctor Who has so much heart and there was so much charm that came with it. And there's not that charm anymore. And, it, and that's why I think people are dropping off of it. Um, mm -hmm. The reason why I do, I, I did change my mind with Capaldi in his last two episodes of season two is because I saw bits of Tennant and I saw bits of Matt Smith in his performances in those last two episodes that I saw of that season so far. And I don't know how he is in his third series yet, but those were the things that as the Whovian and me saw was like, that's him. That's, that's, 12 regenerations in front of him, you know, like I've seen these qualities and they need to find a way to mash what Doctor Who has always been, but mm -hmm. still make it relative to 20 to 2020. And I think right now it's maybe to 2020 and not enough what it's been for 53 years before this. So, and we do have to kind of start wrapping things up here. We are coming, we're, this is, this is <laughs> but it, it does seem like, did, would you like David Tennant, Matt Smith? Do they are they the ultimate Doctor Who's? 
I say like everybody kind of. Well, the thing about David Tennant is. Ben, who was it that Ben liked? Ben's favorite Doctor Eccleston. Who was. Yeah. That's what, mm -hmm. that's Tanae's favorite. That's a lot of people's favorites. Eccleston, well. yeah. Um, the thing about Tennant though, um, is that he was a Doctor Who fan growing up. Yep. He actually yes. married um, a woman who was the daughter of an actor who played the Doctor before. So he was coming in as a big fan. He knew what the character needed. He knew the theme and the rhythm of the show. Mm -hmm. And I think what was so cool about Matt Smith, and help me remember, is that the year that Moffat, like when Matt Smith came in, was that when Moffat was made the head writer? Yes. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. Yeah. Russell T. Davies and David Tennant both left uh, at the and same, same time. time. Yeah. yeah, and so that was kind of why there was a little bit of a tone shift in the show because an excellent writer from the staff was brought forward to lead it. So somebody who had been there and knew the story was brought in with the new doctor. So yes, yes there was a tonal shift, but it kind of went from like, um, that BBC Chronicles of Narnia to BBC Sherlock feel, if that makes sense. <laughs> Still BBC, just two two sides of the same coin, and I love them both. <laughs> is it just because this is a group of writers and filmmakers that everybody is so aware of the head of the showrunner and the right, like Moffat? Moffat's this name that everybody <laughs> talks about, but he's like famous for what? Yeah, so the reason um, why is famous for this. This is why he's famous because yeah. he yeah. did this. Oh, yeah, this and is why yeah, Jake's chest is the reason Moffat is famous, Jim. Right you know? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, um, let's don't blink. Let's don't blink. So that's Weeping Angels. That's one of the monsters. Like, so, if you go back to the first four seasons when Russell T. Davis was like consistently the best episode of each, ep uh, like, best singular episode or two parter is a Moffat episode. Mm -hmm. Generally, there's some debate generally. around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Generally, generally, However, generally, fans will tell you that. Some really diehard fans do not like Moffat. So <laughs> I liked Moffat mm -hmm. before. <laughs> um, towards mm -hmm. his later seasons, I, I kind of fell off of it. Um, but it became very cliche at some points and predictable. Mm -hmm. um, but Moffat created some of the best characters in Doctor Who and yes. some of the most terrifying. And with with... Obviously, you want the classics, you want the Daleks, you want the um, Cybermen, because they're the classic Doctor Who monsters. But to take a show with that much history and create monsters that, if you explain them to people, sound stupid. Mm -hmm. But if you watch the show, if they're terrifying. I mean, he created... Yeah, he created Weeping Angels, which I think every Whovian can admit is one of the most terrifying modern. That's what Susie just said. But he also created a monster where you forget about it once you no longer see it. Like, why does that sound scary? It's not, but it is. And if you explain it to someone who doesn't watch Doctor Who, they're like, what do you mean? It's a monster that you don't remember once you don't see it. Yeah, because they could be anywhere in the room over your shoulder and you don't know it. Yeah. You don't know because you don't remember it. Yeah. And also the clockwork guys on the uh, the the pompadour, oh, the, mm -hmm. Madonna, the pompadour, yeah, yeah, yep. little kid with the gas mask. Are you my mummy? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hear the love of Doctor Who here. So, like, I I know that um there are differing opinions about you know the quality of the show. And and today with you talk about how the viewership has dropped off so dramatically, um. It, do you think, is it just the HBO Max move, or do you think the writing, it sounds like you think the writing itself is really to blame. I really think it's the writing and the, and the directing. I think the move to HBO Max would help it quite a bit, but um, 
I think the only thing that's going to save the show is if they just hire us as the writers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, that's just what they need to do. Up. That'll fix it. I mean, I wouldn't be any good because I am not a writer, but I trust that the three of you. Um, you can just be a consultant thing, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Katie will be our consultant. All right, guys. I think we do have to wrap it up tonight. Yeah. We've gone an hour and a half, and we, we probably lost people's attention half an hour ago. Well, no, maybe we gained it half an hour. Who knows? I don't know how people are these days. We still have people watching, so we can go on all night. But I let's go ahead and wrap this up. This is what we call, this is our happy hour, so this is our last call. Last call. You can say something about the topic we were just talking about or anything else. We'll start with Mr. Con Guy, Derek. Oh, man. Well, y'all, Christmas we'll is coming. We'll have you, Kristen. Enjoy it. Okay, go ahead. I have no deep thoughts. I've been dealing with children all day, and I'm just, my brain is fried. <laughs> all right. Well, usually it's not very deep, the thoughts that I have here at the end of the show. That is for sure. Katie, anything for uh, last call tonight? I mean, I was going to share a story about Weeping Angels because I think it's a fun story. Um, and I found out my friends had the same issue. Um, Weeping Angels, if you guys are who know that they terrify pretty much everybody. Um, and one of the best, Derek has one on his tree, which is why I will never go to their house during this season. Um, let's see it, let's see it so, again, Derek. Um, but at, at WonderCon, I think it was like, man, between four and six years ago. I don't even remember. It's been eight years this year. Who knows? Um, but I was walking through the lobby and there was a cosplayer dressed as a weeping angel. And I was cosplayed as the doctor. And I walked a little ways down the walkway. And then like after like a hundred yards out of the corner of my eye, which is the worst way to see a sleeping angel. She seems like she's behind me again. And then I walk a little bit further and she is still behind me. And I to this day think she targeted me and knew this girl's a Hoovian. I, I said, I think I was dressed as a doctor. She was following me and apparently the same girl or other people who cosplay as Weeping Angels do this to other people at conventions. Because my friend just told me, there is this girl. She knows I'm a Doctor Who fan. She knows I'm scared of Weeping Angels. She cosplays as Weeping Angels and follows me around the con, and it is terrifying. So that is my story. That is how you scare a Whovian. And so because of that, you think they could make a, a Halloween Horror Night uh, yes. on its house, right? Yes. Oh, you totally. can definitely do a hot maze for Doctor Who, but the only problem is you have to be prepared to pick Whovians off the ground. All right. <laughs> they will be for your, your um, last call, you're going to tell us about the charity that your, your, your dress. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say that. I apologize, y'all. This is the long last call. I apologize. Uh, I am doing a charity event for the entire month of December. I did it back in 2016, and I'm doing it again this year. It is called December. It is the whole month of December. I have to wear a dress, but people who do not want to wear a dress or can't wear a dress for work reasons, etc., can wear a tie. Um, but it is all to raise money and awareness to help fight human trafficking. Um, human trafficking has been a massive problem worldwide for a long time and unfortunately has spiked because of 2020 um which is a really and it's a cause for me that's always been close to something that i'm it's always been a problem that i've been aware of and so there's a link in, on my instagram if you want to donate um even if you don't definitely go to the website and see that it'll give you some of the statistics and it'll also tell you kind of stuff that they're doing to help girls you can direct you can buy things uh pay for like 
sessions in court if they need to go to court. You can do rehab type things, but they also um, are a way of telling people where they can shop for clothes ethically. So they have links on their sites for that for the Christmas season if you want to buy ethically sourced apparel um, and gifts. And how do you find them again? It's Dress December. So D R E S S E M B E R dot com. Um, so, or okay. just visit the link in my bio. It'll take you to my dono page, but it'll also take you to the website. And uh, they also employ former victims um, and they sew clothes that they sell on their website. And it's a way to help them get back into society in a safe sense. So, fantastic. Oh, yeah. that's great. And Danae, your last call, but I'm going to throw something out there first just to throw you off. John okay. Barrowman, when talking about his return, he stressed the fact that. The face of both theory, are you familiar? Yes. Which has been feverishly debated by fans over the years, was unconfirmed and purely speculative on his part. This is what he said. He says, I think, and this is not a writer's theory, this is my fan theory, that Jack, as the face of Bo, knows what he's going, knows that he's going to die soon, and he's educating and leading the doctor and doctors to come for millennia for advice. What do you, what does he mean? That doesn't make much sense. Yeah, because the face of Bo had a death in another season that yeah. um, really explained something for the doctor very well. Um, yeah. Really quick to explain it for you, Jim. The face of Bo is a character that shows up and it's just a gigantic head in a okay. thing. And the second really episode of the first season of the reboot. Imagine. Mm -hmm. Jim, imagine if you found out at the end of Return of the Jedi that Yoda was actually Han Solo, a millennium in the future. Get yeah. out of town. Kind of like that. Kind of like that. So, um, I mean, that's kind of been like one of those things that fans have talked about for years is like, you know, how did how did Captain Jack turn into that giant head? Um, yeah, it's, you know what? It's all of time and space. It could have been um his nickname because he said it like at the last time we saw him he called it his nickname that somebody had given him so it could be that they heard that and replayed it um honestly when it comes to these theories i don't trust the actors i trust the directors <laughs> and the writers I agree. Um, I agree. yeah when like when actors from star wars try to tell me stuff i'm like you didn't write it you don't know what you're saying get out of here um but i would just like to say um real quick that i mean doctor who has had its ups and downs. Um, I mean, it was off the air for over a decade between, I believe it was McCoy and Eccleston. And um, I think a lot of people would say that McCoy was not a great doctor. I'll be honest. I haven't watched any of his episodes, but it's one of those things like, that's what's so cool about Doctor Who is that you can really turn things around and make a complete change. And it's still the show that we love and you can do things with it. So I could, I could see it still going on forever. Um, as long as it's done right. But um, yeah, it's one of those that could just pick right back up. But also, um, Katie, in addition to what you said, another great place to help fight um, sex trafficking, because it happens all over the place, is freedom424.com. And um, they're, just, they're one that I donate to regularly. So just throwing that out there too. Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. And also last thing, John Barrowman did say that after his appearance in this holiday episode, he is up for returning for more episodes. Of course he would be, but... Yeah, well, I mean, his other show ended, so why yeah. not? Like, <laughs> Arrow's done. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't, I don't. have no anchors in Vancouver anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake, we, we end our happy hours with 
Anyone who wants to offer up a last call, get it. Last call, happy hour. Get it, get it. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would like to leave us with? Um, my cat just took a dump underneath my desk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay because that's where the litter is located. <laughs> and you showed um, that in your film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I have it on good authority. Uh, our movie is now, if you if you went to the iTunes link, you can now watch it. So it's even on the Woo! West Coast. So it's here. It's now. Nice. It is here. It's ready. Get there. Go to the iTunes link. Click on the link. I don't know if you can click here, but it's right here in the comments section. You guys click on it. Get this movie. You're really going to enjoy it, especially in this kind of year where everything's just so stressful. This movie is... It's just a breath of fresh air. It really is. Jake, thank you for coming on tonight. If people want to find out more about the movie and or any other projects that you're working on, where can they find those? Um, for the movie, go to at Shedding Feature Film on Facebook, at Shedding underscore Film on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at JT Hummus. Fantastic. Today, you, the, your sibling, his battery died, so he had, has left us for the evening. But where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at D-N-A-Y-S. And... Yeah, I'm a writer, and that's where a lot of my stuff is. And your book? Oh, my book is called Queen of Hell, and it's live. It's um, it's available on Kindle Unlimited and paperback and regular Kindle. And um, you can also get it through private bookstores. Um, I'll, I'll share that link later. There's an awesome site where you can buy books through independent bookstores and support small businesses. Um, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But yeah, Queen of Hell. It's um, the story of Persephone and Hades, but in a brand new setting. Go check it and, out. And Katie, you. where can people find you online? Um, my roommate finished her book, by the way, uh, and a rector. So just a heads up. My roommate loved it slash hated it. Uh, no, more like she needs a second book. But anyway, you can find me at, I'll get the hang of this eventually. Uh kt underscore christine on all social media including twitch uh where i'm also doing my fun games for the month of december but yeah come hang out on twitch uh hopefully i'll be streaming from the con guys twitch channel eventually we yep, just haven't gotten that worked out yet you can just figure help me figure out how to make that work because we're streaming on there i yeah. don't know how to tell people we're there once we're there all these social media things hey guys you can find me at jim fry la on twitter or james d fry on instagram and for my last call i just want to tell you guys we have um, two really good interviews coming up in this next week. This week on the Con Guy, uh, well, it's, it's the Scare Guy show, which is the scarier side of the Con Guy. But it's um, we have a podcast that we do on that hashtag shows network called Don't Fear the Podcast. We interviewed the director and writer of a really creepy film, an Indian film called Kali Huli. So, but it's a very cool like um, ghost story set in India. Carrie was Carrie Lane was on with us to do the interview. You guys are gonna love if you like good, creepy, unsettling films. This movie is gonna do it for you. And then also next week, next Monday and Tuesday, we're dropping a brand new podcast. We did an interview today with the um, with the writer director and one of the the stars from the new film Skylines. It's the third film in the trilogy, which started in, with 2010's Skyline, which had its big debut in Hall H at Comic Con. Beyond Skyline was the next one. And this is Skylines. They're kind of close. It's cool alien invasion and going out into outer space and kicking alien butt. It's a fun film. We watched it last night. So make sure you guys check those out this week. But please um, like us, follow us, share us, and let us know what you guys like. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Jake, thank you so much for being on this week. Guys, if you let's encourage Jake to come back more often because uh, we need some some people. Any, to, anytime. I, I, yeah, I, Jake. Always happy to join. Um, Doctor Who, it's something, as you can see, that drives a lot of passion. So, you guys, hopefully it'll go on for many years to come. Listen, have a great, great week, guys. We'll see everybody soon, all right? All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Do, 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 do.